is a piece of cake. You notice me. Oh my gosh. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? Really? It's been one of those weeks for you guys? How are we doing? Okay. No. I won't start till you start. Ready? How are we doing? Okay. 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 Let's do this. Um, I love that we use the theme song from like the Goofy movie or something. I've never even seen it. I was born in the 80s. This is for all of you that were like late 80s and are like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I'm so young and cool and this was cool and I'm like, I don't remember. But then I quote back to the future and you don't remember. And so that's awesome. So uh, no, welcome to Young Adults and uh, welcome to Misfits. We are in a series that is completely about um, the people of the Bible that moves God's kingdom forward. And if you've been around young adults for long, long enough, or you've been around Red Rocks Church for long enough, you know that we care about God's kingdom. We talk about it all the time here, but we care about people getting saved. We care about Jesus' name being known. We care about um, people coming into the kingdom and making heaven more crowded. We talk about it all the time. Now, what's interesting is we think that everybody here has a role to play. We believe that every believer has a role to play in that kind of a story. And so we titled this series, Misfits, the kind of people, the only people that change the world, right? And as we were kind of thinking about this, uh, we realized, you know, we're like, okay, well, we want people at young adults to understand that they are world changers, that they are game changers. But you're probably sitting in your seat and you're thinking, okay, if I'm going to advance the kingdom, that means I'm working for the king of kings, and he's a, he's a big god, and I'm just me, <laughs> right? And you feel small and you feel inadequate. We feel like we're not enough, like we, we don't really have enough, like we don't fit the bill of the type of people that move God's kingdom forward. We don't fit. We're misfits. And Merriam-Webster's, they define misfit this way, a person who is different from other people and who does not seem to belong in a particular group or situation. Um, misfits, by definition, means to not fit. It means this. It means that you are not the typical, I am not the typical success story. We are not the valedictorians, maybe a couple, well, I don't know. We got some mind students in here. <laughs> I love you guys. I was there on Wednesday night. You guys are great. Last Wednesday night. Um, no, we are not the typical success stories, right? We're not the varsity football player. We're not like, you know, head of the class, the prom king, the prom queen. Like, we don't fit the bill. Misfits don't fit the bill for what we assume is going to be a typical success story. And yet, these are the types of people, the misfits are the type of people that God uses to change the world, God puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says um, this through, through Paul. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world to despise things. The things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chose misfits. And he always will, 
and he always has. And so tonight I wanted to talk about a misfit that we find um, in the Gospels, actually. And his name is John the Baptist, and he was a very different individual. And um, I think you guys are going to uh, really, if you don't know a whole lot about him, really enjoy getting to know him tonight. But above that, um, I titled tonight, um, if you're taking notes, Will You Still Follow? Will You Still Follow? Because John was a man that above all things was still going to follow Jesus no matter what. And so before we get into tonight, uh, let's pray and let's ask God to be here, okay? Jesus, uh, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for every single individual in here. I thank you for um, just this fall day and for rest and for peace. And I know, um, God, tonight that you are going to bring a huge spirit of refreshment, and so we welcome that. And I just pray, God, that... um, that I would handle your word appropriately, and that, um, God, you would use this moment. I give you permission. God, uh, we open our hearts to you, ask you to do a work, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, Misfits are people that do not fit in, right? Like, they are not the brightest crayon in the box, okay? You ever have a time where you're looking at a person, you know, you're in a group of people, and you're like, hmm, like, so so weird. <laughs> Have you <laughs> so weird. Have you ever had a time where you're looking at like you realize you kind of get away from yourself and you're realizing in a scenario in a group of people you're like, "Okay. I'm I'm the weird one right now." You know what I'm saying? Um, How many of you, raise of hands, have gone through in college or otherwise um, a weird hippie phase? Raise raise your hand. Weird hippie phase. Some of you from Boulder are like, I'm going through that right now. (laughs) Right? You're like dreadlocks. I was just on Pearl Street. I had a walking stick even though I'm not hiking anywhere. (laughs) I'm going to pray for this tree. Not showering. (laughs) So, (laughs) we love you here. I went through a phase. I went through a phase like this where I was a bit of a a, a weird, a weird hippie. And it started out with with good intentions. Um, I was rock climbing. I was backpacking a decent amount, and which none of those things are bad. But then I started wearing chacos like year-round. Some of you are like, yup, you know, so, and started listening to Van Morrison, you know, and like, um, being like, oh, it's cool if you don't wear deodorant, like on all occasions, you know, like those kind of things, right? This is me. And uh, I decided one summer, I decided one summer, this is hard to believe, I know, um, that I was going to work for a, a company called Aspen Achievement Academy, which was a wilderness therapy program for at-risk youth. And that's a really, really lengthy way of saying that kids that had gotten in trouble with the law were given an option to either go and hike the wilderness and like learn life lessons for a summer or go to juvie. And so they were like, a backpack, please. You know, and so... That was what I did. I was a therapist or like a counselor for that um, as an internship while I was in college, okay? And so I get out into the wilderness of Utah, into the desert of Utah, 
And, um, and so do all of these teens, and we kind of get out into these groups, and they go through different life lessons, different therapy lessons, kind of work through their childhood issues is a lot of what they did, right? And we would backpack like five to seven miles a day, and everything we had like was on our backs. Like everything that we were going to use was on our backs. So in uh, Utah, you think warm, you think Moab. Some of you know Moab um, in like summer even, at night, and the lower Mo- uh, desert of Utah can get very cold. And so like we would bring everything for like warm gear, like cold gear, very, very cold gear. And then we'd bring food and we would bring, you know, like water purification systems and, um, you know, all of our cooking wear, all that different kind of stuff. And I was like so sold out to it. I loved it. It was one of the funnest summers of my life. It was so hardcore, this, this kind of thing that we did was so hardcore that we actually, like, we did not have matches, we did not have lighters, and you were required in the program, and all the students were required eventually, to learn how to what they called bust a fire, okay? And so what you would do is you would have a top rock, you would have a spindle, which was like this little wooden uh, spindle thing, and uh, that you would create from like, thi- <laughs> mine students, stop, ah, judgment. Um, you would have a block of wood, and then you would have from from you know your surroundings from the wilderness. You would gather a bow, and you would gather um, you know some type of animal hair, some type of animal skin, and you would create a bow, and you would bow the spindle with the top rock and the base until you created an ember, and that was how you built fire. And from these bare hands, you guys, I made fire. <laughs> And I felt so hardcore, right? And um, as the summer goes on, I mean, you just imagine, like, I just got a little bit weirder and a little bit weirder. And kind of my crowning moment was we're hiking one day with a group and whatever. We're on this really long hike. And I see a cow carcass, which to most of you is not exciting at all. But for me... I was extremely excited, and here's why. Top rocks, you had to like carve out the top of a rock in order for the the whole spindle thing to work. Now what worked even better was a cow calf bone. And I was like, done, I'm cutting off this cow calf bone. (laughs) The students watch me, and I'm like, I'm like, don't worry, you know, I pull out my knife, and I'm like cutting off this, and I put it in a Ziploc, right, put it in my backpack, I'm like, I'm gonna boil it later, don't worry about it, and we keep hiking, and I'm like, yes, you know, I like scored big in the wilderness, right, and um, fast forward, you know, a couple weeks, I'm in Telluride now for the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, Again, it's me, a bunch of rich people, a bunch of hippies. And uh, we're there, we're enjoying time and like listening to music and whatever. And my parents meet me. And uh, my parents meet me out there because they hadn't seen me all summer. And they were like, oh, how was it, Jess? You know, was it awesome? And I was like, it was so awesome. And I had my backpack on me. And um, my mom was like, something smells, Jesse, you smell so bad. And I was like, Mom, 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 come on. And she's like, Jesse, you smell like something died. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Mom. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, I have, oh, uh, I have a dead calf cow bone in my, like, in my backpack just sitting in there, just like, and I didn't notice that it smelled. Like, like what is wrong with me, right? And, um... And it was one of those moments where I had like an out-of-body experience. I'm looking at myself, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are so weird right now. 
you're so weird, right? And we meet John the Baptist in the Bible. (laughs) You ever been so sold out to something, so devoted, so into something, that you just like lose yourself a little bit? Because that's this guy right here. We meet John the Baptist and a couple of the different Gospels. And when we meet him, he is in the middle of the Judea wilderness, which isn't like, um, it's not, you know, deep wilderness. There's still people around, but there's not a whole lot of people. So he's by himself a large majority of the time. And when we meet him, this is how scripture introduces us to this man. And it says this, Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one, or um, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice is calling in the wilderness, um, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and his leather belt, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. So this is how, we're, this is how we meet this man. This amazing man, I might add. And uh, when we meet him, he is clothed in camel's hair. And during this time, you guys, they had spindles. They had uh, thread. They would make cloth. And yet this man is like, I'm good. Like, I got camel's hair, right? And um, he would eat locusts, which I was thinking about it this week, like how many insects you would have to eat in order to feel full. Like a spider would be like a popcorn kernel. You know what I mean? And you'd be like, hmm. I need a a lot more popcorn. So he ate a lot of bugs, a lot of bugs. He was the cousin of Jesus. He was born about six months before Jesus was born. He's a fascinating, fascinating individual, extremely different, extremely so into his world and so into what he was doing um, that he was just bizarre. But he wasn't just bizarre. He was also powerful. Um, We know this, that Jesus at one point in his ministry described John as being the greatest among men. And how many of you guys would love that on your tombstone or the moment you meet Jesus in heaven for him to say, you were the greatest. You were the greatest. No one beside you. He said, John the Baptist was the greatest among all men. People flocked to him. Um, royalty, Pharisees, commoners, it didn't matter. They came out to hear him preach. And he was the best of the best of preachers. I mean, you have to assume that with the kind of crowds that he gained. He had his first disciples. He had disciples before Jesus had disciples. He would, um, he would preach so eloquently and so powerfully that people were moved to get baptized. Their insides were like rearranged and they would repent and they would go into the water and they would get baptized. Not only that, but people began asking him, are you the Messiah? They, they were wondering because he was that kind of an individual and he had to tell people no. And he says, you know, there's a man coming and um, I'm not even fit to put on his shoes. And so it's not me. I'm just preparing the way. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is about to come close. He was sold out like all misfits are. And when I read about John, um, I honestly, and this is me being really uh, just kind of open with you guys, he pops off the pages to me. And not every character in the Bible is like this, but he comes to life for me. And I cannot wait to get to heaven to meet him. He seems to be the most fascinating um, individual in the Bible. Where I see a lot of other people in the Bible waver, David um, wavering in, in his faith a bit, um, in his king 
uh, years, and then Moses maybe wavering in his faith. I never see that in John the Baptist. He's powerful. He's focused. He's sold out. And so the question for us tonight is, we know that all of us in here would describe ourselves at least somewhat as being a misfit. For us then, how do we become more like John and become powerful, not just misfits, but powerful for the kingdom of God? How do we become the greatest among men like he was? And I think in his uh, life, we can learn a couple of things about him. And the first thing that I wrote down just from studying John this week is this. He was set apart. John was set apart. It was almost as if John's entire life was leading up to his moment of ministry. And we know this because we know his birth account. It says this in Luke 1. When it was time for Elizabeth, this is his mom, to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard um, that the Lord had shown great mercy on her, and they shared in her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after Zechariah, who was the dad. Um, But the mother spoke up, and she said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, but there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Now, a little bit of backstory here. Um, Zechariah, the father, uh, they are visited, Elizabeth and Zechariah, by an angel. And they are told, you are going to have a son, and he is going to be powerful in the kingdom of God. And they they believe um, the angel. And in that moment, uh, Zechariah's mouth is closed and he's unable to speak and, until the baby is born. And so the story goes on and it says, then uh, they made signs to the father, okay, because Zechariah can't speak at this point. And they say, to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote down, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country in Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard was wondering about it and asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. I love this part of the story because it is so evident that God's hand and that God's power is on an infant just, just um, in such a beautiful way. The, Lord, the Lord's hand was upon him. And have you, have you had a moment, and maybe it's just a microscopic moment, but a moment with God where, where you feel maybe not the call of God, but you feel his hand upon you. You feel his hand upon you. Maybe you were in a church service somewhat like this. And and you felt the Lord come upon you and you knew his presence. Because you have to think, back then they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so we get to experience every day things that that were so um, not normal in their time, right? And so... Or maybe, you know, it was uh, you were reading the Bible or you were going on a walk with the Lord or one day you were just minding your own business and you felt God call out or give you a dream of some kind. I remember for me, I was in college and I was sitting in a worship service and um, spending time with him and communing with him and just very focused on the face of the Lord. And I felt God in that moment and it was so clear. It was so clear. He spoke to me and he said, Jesse. He said, I need you to press in. I'm preparing you. And it was clearer than anything I'd ever heard in my life. 
And um, it was a beautiful moment, and I went home, and I journaled about it. And um, there is a confidence that comes when the hand of the Lord is upon you. And here's the deal. For all of you who are believers in here, for all of you who have received the Holy Spirit, who have received salvation, the reality is, is that Romans 8 says this. It says that you... Because you are accepted into the kingdom, because you have received Jesus, you are not only saved, but you're called. And so the hand of the Lord is upon you the way that it was upon John. The second thing that I think makes John so great is his encounter with Jesus strengthened his call. His encounter with Jesus strengthened his call. John is out in the wilderness and he's doing his business. He knows he's to prepare the way of the Lord. He tells people to repent. He baptizes them, hundreds and thousands. And he keeps going day after day. And then one day from a distance, he sees his cousin who he's known. And now he realizes that he is the Messiah. I'm not really sure at what point he knew. But let's assume it's in that moment, right? He realizes, oh my, it's Jesus. He's he's the king of the whole world. And it says this in John 3, and he's, and he's talking to everybody around him. He's talking to the people and to his disciples. And John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in, um, in his hand, and he will clear the fl- threshing floor, gathering wheat into the barn and burning up chaff, chaff with an unquenchable fire. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you do, um, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. Um, it is proper for us to do this and fulfill all righteousness. Then John contest, or consented. Um, as soon as John, Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. This encounter with Jesus is one of the most powerful, I think, in Scripture. Because you have to imagine it and not just like read, read the 2D text and not feel the life in the Scripture here. Because what's happening is, is John sees Jesus from a distance and he knows, he knows that he's the king. And Jesus says, John, I've come and I want you to baptize me. And he's like, no, no way, Jesus, are you kidding? No way. I am not baptizing you. You baptize me. I know who you are. You are my Savior. I'm the one that needs to repent. And he says, no, no, John, I have a call too. I have a call too. I have a bidding too from my Father. And I have uh, some orders, some marching orders from my Father. And this is to fill all righteousness. And so you need to baptize me. And so finally John says, okay. (laughs) Okay, and I picture him. I picture John walking with Jesus and walking down into the water with the Son of Man and having a moment where he realizes this is, this is the Son of God. This is God himself incarnate. And um, he weighs out into the water with him, and he realizes he's humbling himself to a man and allowing himself by a man to be baptized. And he puts his arms around Jesus And he feels the full weight as Jesus leans back into his hands and he dips Jesus below the water and up out of the water and the heavens open up and God speaks. And in that moment, it was powerful, but I think even more than that, he sensed the love 
of Jesus. What kind of God would humble himself to allow a man to baptize him? What kind of God would stoop down just so that he could show us that he loves us? And John knows this. He experiences this with Jesus that day. He experiences a new kind of love. And um, for us in here, when is the last time, or maybe can you recall the last time that you felt the love of God this way, or an encounter with Christ that you just can't shake? I know for myself, there was a time in college after the experience I told you about in the chapel where um, I just felt the tangible love of God. I felt him wooing me constantly into his presence, and I would go into prayer, and I felt so loved on, and I would walk with him, and it kind of felt like we were like holding hands, which I know sounds cheesy, but it really, it really did. Like we were just on the way to class and home from classes, and I was so, I was so in love with him. And I remember thinking, um, similar to what John was thinking, like what kind of God like woos me? What kind of God comes after me? Like, I don't chase you, you chase me. Like, what, who, what kind of father are you? What kind of, who is Jesus? Who is this man? I, I was so in love and so enraptured. And every encounter with Jesus like this, it only reveals um, how much more of his character we need. And it revealed to me um, how humble he was to come after me. And this was John in the water that day. And he saw that God loved him enough to become human and loved him enough to be humble to fulfill all righteousness. And you see, when you see the heart of God this way, it ruins you in such a way where you're willing to throw your life at his feet for his glory. As so with John. And so his story goes on, John the Baptist goes on, and um, it takes a turn at some point in the Gospels. And John, being kind of the bad-to-the-bone guy that he was, gets up in front of a group of people and uh, basically says, you know, the king, this king, Herod is his name, he is um, having an affair with his brother's wife. And it's wrong, and it's, it's bad, and it's terrible, right? And he calls him out, and he, and he says, it's time, Herod, for you to stop. And because of that, Herod says, okay, it's time for you to go to jail. And he puts John in a prison cell. And so the last thing that I think John, that makes John great is that he believed when it was dark. He believed when it was dark. See, because this is the part of the story, you guys, that none of us like. We love John the Baptist just tearing the Pharisees up out in the wilderness. We love strong John, you know, that you picture in, you know, just with skins on his back and just like aggressive, like hands that are calloused. We love that kind. We love it when our heroes are strong and when our heroes win. We struggle when suddenly they're in danger. And it says, um, you know, that he goes to jail and he sits there for a long time. And at some point, his heart begins to, to sink and he begins to wonder. And I, I picture John kind of being there and, and being like, well, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe I heard God wrong on this one. Maybe I didn't understand what he wanted me to do. Maybe, um, maybe I got Jesus wrong. And so he sends his disciples out to go and talk to Jesus. And this is where the story picks up. It says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? 
John is asking him in this moment, he says, Jesus, I'm sitting in a prison cell because I believe that you're the one. I'm in prison. Are you the one? I just need to know. And you can almost feel in this moment where he's thinking, he's like, did I get it? Did I get it wrong? Did I, did I misunderstand your call? Did I not get it right? And you can almost feel his anxiety, like, because, you know, he was so sure. He was so poised. He was so focused. He was undeterred. He knew what his call was. He had heard from God. And all of a sudden, though, he's in the middle of a prison cell, and he's looking, and he's thinking, maybe I got this Jesus thing. Maybe I got this God thing. Maybe I got it so completely wrong. I'm not sure of anything. And we know this feeling. Do you know this feeling? Have you ever had a moment or a month or a year, a couple years, where you pursued the Lord, where you pursued a call, where you pursued a dream, where you heard his voice, where you knew it was him, where you stepped out, where you had faith, and then you wake up one day and you're almost in a proverbial jail cell. And you're looking around and you're thinking, oh my gosh, did I get you all wrong? Did I completely misunderstand what you were saying to me? I mean, are you really who you say you are? Because this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel like this was the plan to me. This doesn't feel like your plan for me. You have got to believe that as strong as John the Baptist was, as focused, as dedicated as unwavering as he was, he was having a moment where he was thinking to himself, my entire life has led up to this, and now I'm sitting on death row. Is this your plan? Is this what you have for me? Gene Edwards is an author, and he writes about um, this time in prison with John. And he says this, um, he writes about kind of John's thoughts and John's emotions and then he summarizes with this. He says, a day like that which awaited John, as John wait, waited in his jail cell to be executed, awaits all of us. It is unavoidable because every believer imagines his God to be a certain way and is quite sure his Lord will do certain things under certain conditions. But your Lord is never quite what you imagined him to be. You are going to get to know your Lord by faith or you will not know him at all. The question is not, why is God doing this? Why is he like this? The question is not, why does he not answer me? The question is not, I need him desperately. Why does he not rescue me? The question is not, why did God allow this tragedy to happen to me, my children, my wife, my husband, to my family? Nor is it, why does God allow injustices? The question before the house is this. Will you, allow, will you follow a God you do not understand? Will you follow a God who does not live up to your expectations? So that's the question for us tonight at Young Adults. Will you follow a God when you don't understand? Will you follow him when things aren't going the way that you planned? I wrote a note today and I said, misfits follow when some things don't make sense. And then I crossed it out. And I said, misfits follow when nothing makes sense. It was 2012, 2013. It was the winter of 2012 to 2013. 
And I had many prayers that I was bringing to the Lord. One of them was, I, I was praying for young adults, and I was like, Lord, I want to see this go to the next level. What would you like, Lord? And spent time in prayer about that. And I was praying about a magazine that Red Rocks Church was going to put out and that um, he would have favor on it and that it would make, make a difference, that it, would, that, it would, that it would have an impact, it would have fruit. And I was praying that, I, I, that we would have a baby. We'd been trying for uh, nearly uh, nine months at that point. And I was praying, and I was, I was asking the Lord uh, to, to meet me in my prayers, and I felt strongly uh, him answer me in a couple of different ways, and so I decided to step out in faith. And the big thing that he told me was he said, you know, you need to move young adults from Golden to Littleton, which I did not want to do at all. It didn't make sense to me. It was away from, you know, our biggest campuses. It made no sense. And so I said, okay, Lord, uh, we'll move. And so in April of that year, the magazine comes out, um, you know, we move here, and um, I remember the feeling of our first week here because I was expecting, and I was believing, and I was trusting, and I was clinging, and we got in here, and we lost 100 people. And I remembered thinking, oh, okay, and uh, the next week, it wasn't much better, and the next week, it wasn't much better, and um, I remember a night where, like, I couldn't sleep because the pressure on my heart was so much. Like, this, this, this time and this season wasn't what I expected it to be. And um, John and I had gone in for another doctor's visit, and I had come home and just sat in the bathroom and cried. And I remember, you know, that night just, like, staying up until 3 in the morning and being like, fine, I'm just going to go into work. And I drove up to Heritage Square, and I just prayed until the sun came up, and I was just like, Lord, <laughs> this wasn't the plan. Have you forgotten about me? Are you going to rescue me? Where are you right now? What? This wasn't the plan. And in that moment, all I had to cling to was a couple of things. I, clang, I, I clung to the fact that, that he had told me to move. I was like, no, this is what you said to do. And we did it. And then I clung to who he had shown himself to be to me when I was in college. The God who loved me, the God who wooed me, the God who humbled himself and came low to meet me. And I clung to those things in that season. And I picture John in a jail cell. And I picture him clinging to two things. I picture him clinging to every word he ever heard from the Father, every word he ever heard. You know, John, it's time. You got to go. You got to prepare a way. The king's coming. And I picture him clinging to who he knew Jesus to be, to watching Jesus in his first miracles and with his first disciples and had that moment that they had in the water and just clinging, just clinging. Will you follow him when he's not what you expect? Would you guys stand tonight? There are some of you in here who have been um, extremely let down by God. And you went big, you went for broke, maybe you showed up at church, maybe you, maybe you stepped out, maybe you... Um, you know, did, tried to do something great. Maybe you trusted him in a relationship. You trusted him for healing of um, a, a friend, a family member. And you have been let down. 
Will you follow a God you don't understand? And he is inviting you tonight to cling to two things, to cling to what he has told you. And he is inviting you to cling to who he is. And with every head bowed in here, I just want to ask, um, if you're in here and you're thinking, you know what, Jess, I have been let down. I have been let down, but I do know who he is. And maybe it's not about me getting the plan that I wanted. Maybe it's not about John getting the plan that he wanted. Maybe it's not about me getting the plan that I want. But maybe it's about um, Jesus. Maybe it's about him. Maybe it's about his glory. Maybe it's about a king that came low. And maybe it's about the fact that someday we're all going to go and we're all going to see him. And we're going to meet him face to face. And the goal in this life and the goal of our obedience isn't, it is not that we achieve and that we receive everything that we ever dreamed of, but it's that we receive him. And if you're in here tonight and you're thinking, you know what, I want that because that sounds solid and that sounds real and I would love to know that, Jesus. If you're in here, just slip up your hand in the air. I would love to pray for you. Amen. Amen. And if you're in here and you're thinking, um... I would love for God to meet me in this moment as I cling to him because right now I am just in it. I am in a moment where I need him to meet me um, in the water, back in the water. And I need to know that he is with me in my dark times and that I will follow him no matter what. If you would like prayer, I'd love to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Awesome. Okay. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for every person in here. I pray for the people that received you tonight. Pray for the people that received uh, Jesus tonight into their hearts, God. And I pray for every person in here, God, who, um, who needs you um, in this time or who needs you in the future. And I pray, God, that you would just meet us, that you would meet us in our dark times, God, and that you are inviting us, God, to cling to who you are and to what you say, God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.